Hi, and welcome to the Hollywood Dreammaker Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Gallo. I'm a 35-year veteran actor. I'm the kid who came out to Hollywood with 200 bucks in my pocket and a one-way ticket when I was 18. Didn't know a soul out here, and I've been living my dream ever since. I've had an amazing career. I've been an Academy Award-winning film, blockbuster film, hit TV series. You name it, I've done it, and I got the IMDb credits to prove it. Six years ago, I opened up my own school, the Manhattan Actor Studio, where I found my true passion. That's teaching the craft of acting, but not only teaching the craft of being the guy. Success leaves clues. I know how to make dreams a reality. I did it for myself, and I do it on a daily basis for my students. And I can help you achieve yours. Welcome to my podcast. Let's get started. I am super excited to introduce my guest. He's a talented actor. You may know him from his work in John Wick 2, The Wrestler, Public Morals, House of Cards, Brooklyn's Finest, World Trade Center, just to name a few. He's even got his own rock band called Dirty Old Gangsters. I want to welcome fellow Brooklynite Wash Stevens to the podcast. Welcome to the show, bro. Oh, Billy, Billy, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. It's been it's been too long since I've seen you in person, pal, but I'm glad to get you. To I know. I've been busting your chops for a couple of years to come on the podcast, so I really appreciate you, you know, coming on. I'm bobbing and weaving, but you had me on the ropes. Now I'm, I'm here. Here we go. Here yeah, we go. Yeah. So, you know, I, I created the podcast to inspire young artists to follow their dreams, right? If a kid like me can come out to Brooklyn, you know, from Brooklyn to Hollywood at 18 with 200 bucks in my pocket, a one-way ticket, didn't know a soul out here, and make the dream a reality, then why can't the listener out there, right? If a guy like you from Brooklyn, you know, can have all these amazing credits, you know, you make the dream a reality. So I just wanted to kind of get to the beginning. You, when did you know you wanted to be an actor? Oh, I think we all know when we're kids. Right. I mean, we all, you know, my whole shtick was entertain my family my whole life. You know, Thanksgiving was the wash show, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, I would kid anytime I would get a laugh. I, you know, back then it was all about getting a laugh, you know, and, you know, in the neighborhood, you got it. You protect yourself. You, you diffuse situations with with humor. So and uh, I always knew even when I was a little kid, did a bunch of theater when I was uh, when I was, you know, very, very young and um and then as life goes by, you know, you start to think, well, everybody wants to be an actor. So let me let me see what else I'm going to do. You know, is it a fantasy? But, you know, it just kept calling. You know, it's like that thing in your ear, man. You just it's in your heart. It's in your gut. You can't let go of it. And uh, finally, I just said, fuck it. I'm going to uh, I'm going to take a shot. Got into class. Uh, How old were you? Uh, I was old, man. I had to be about thirty five. All right. So at 35, you see, I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue yeah. this acting thing. Yeah. I, I took a shot and I, you know, I got very lucky because I started a class. I, I was dating a woman who was an actress and she kept saying to me, you, you know, why don't you do this? You love it. And you're fine. And I, and finally I met her coach and uh, she said, take the class. If you don't like it, just walk away. Just have a good time with it. Well, I fell in love with it. And uh, because of my day gig, as you know, you know, especially in New York with the hustle, well, the hustle is so heavy, you know, you have to have something, a sustained job. So uh, I had met producers and people and someone who, uh, who I had met just said, you know, we're doing this Brooklyn-y kind of very New York-y thing. Uh, I'd love to get you in to read for the director. Uh, 
who was Joe Bologna, fellow mm. Brooklyn. Right. So I go in to play uh, a bodyguard, you know, with uh, uh, with Renee Taylor and Joe Bologna. And I improvised with Joe for like 15 minutes. Like the audition was one page, you know, you know, those first auditions. that you mm-hmm. got. I was only in class for about uh, two, three months at the time. And uh, and Joe and I hit it off. And we just it was, it was a lot of fun. He's great. He was a great guy. You know, may he rest in peace uh, anyway. So and and he booked me. So I go in to do the gig. It's a one-day gig. After we're done, we're walking back. It was in City Island in the Bronx. Remember when we used to go yeah. back for food? Yeah. Anyway, so so we're we're walking back to the trailers, and he comes over and he goes, hey, remember how Joe used to talk? Hey, hey what? Uh, <laughs> ask you something. If I, I sound a little more like Pesci than Joe, but <laughs> give me a little creative, uh, you know. Uh, so he says, yeah. Uh, can you afford to join SAG if uh, if I taft hotly you? And I and I just said, well, how much is it? And back then, <laughs> it was like eleven hundred dollars. So I said, you know, he said eleven hundred dollars. I said, well, why? He goes, well, because I'm thinking of combining a few characters, and I want you to play all of them. You're going to get about thirty days on the picture. And I wow. said, eleven hundred. Fuck yeah! When do you need me, man? You know, and and I went the next morning, signed up for, for SAG. He tapped heartily me in, and that was it. And I've been running ever since. That's amazing. So wait, let me get this straight. So you're in acting class for a couple of months. You get your first audition. You go in there, and you you land your first audition and get Tap Hartley. Correct. Wow. Correct. You know, I don't know a lot of people. That's you know, you know, I don't know. You know, my story is you know when I came out to Hollywood at eighteen with two hundred, right? That money exactly. ran out real fast. I, I said right. I got to get an agent. You know, I got to get an agent. How do I get an agent? So you know, I got a list of agents from the Screen Actors Guild. And this is back in eighty five four. You know, there was no phone, cell phones, GPS, none of that shit. I got a map, and I, yep. I literally went. Thomas guy, yeah, the Thomas guy, yeah, a a a seven. So, so I literally banged on door to door to door to door in Hollywood, going down, you know, Hollywood Boulevard, El Centro, and I'm banging and I'm getting no's, 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 doors slamming in my face, get lost, whatever. I went through the A's, the B's, the C's, all the way. I found an agent at Y, the Yenes Talent Agency, right? Yeah. But I had, I had to go through all the no's to get the one yes. The one yes got me the for my first audition, which was right. a guest star on a, The Fall Guy with Lee Majors. Oh, lovely. Did you book it? I booked it. I got my SAG card. I got, and I was off to the races. You know, I just, you know, I had just arrived and here I am. I had money to pay my rent. (laughs) Well, I I tell you what, what you say there is, is the key to the success in this business and in this industry. Okay. Because it could take, you know, everybody says overnight success. Well, we both had that first job, right? But then I don't know how long it took before I got my next one. You know, yeah. uh, so it's like, you know, four years and overnight, but tenacity, the love of what and knowing that you can't do anything else. Mm-hmm. See, that's the key, you know, and, and the love of what we do, because there's a lot of no's and someone who doesn't have that love of it, that passion for it, they're going to get discouraged. Right. I mean, look. I get discouraged, you know, still to this day when I know I crush something and you got to wait, you don't hear it. Maybe you don't get it. I mean, that's just the nature of this industry. But, you know, the Brooklyn part of you, the no taking no for an answer, not taking no for an answer was what kept you going, kept you confident, the love of what you wanted, 
that tenacity, right? Hmm. Kept going. A lot of people would have given up, yeah. you know? And the key to me, you know, anybody who is committed to this, I think can succeed to a certain extent. You know, there, there's, you may not be Tom Cruise, you know, but there's like five people at that level. And then there's, um, you know, thousands and thousands of actors who make a very, very good living doing what they love. So the key is tenacity and knowing it's the only thing that's going to make you happy. And you knew it. And you sure. came out. You didn't take no for an answer. You kept going. You kept going. You had that Brooklyn street in you. But, you know, a kid from Ohio who's got the love or anywhere in the world or in the country, you know, if they have the love for it, if they have the tenacity, you just got to not take no for an answer. You know, you just got to keep and you got to keep studying. You know, I mean, I stress this. You and I have both been teachers for a very long time. You got to have craft. You know, there's always there's natural ability. And uh, a lot of this is who you are, you know, and filling a role with who you are, because think about it. Even as method actors, we we use our own lives, our own histories, our own stories, our own psychoses, our own, you know, to create character. Sure. You know, you have to just believe in it and you have to study, you have to have some craft because to do something and you and I both know when you're doing something over and over and over again. And for those of you who have not worked who are watching Billy's podcast, you know, it's it, it it's there's a lot of redundancy in what we do. Uh, and, and you have to get to that place where, you know, you can go over and over and over again. And it takes craft to be able to regenerate that and to go there over and over again. I know I jumped the gun. We were talking about the, no, no, I love it. Yeah. But I, I, I always, you know, I, I talk about this because there's a lot of people nowadays too, that have come out of nowhere, never studied, but the amount of, pre- the, it's going to be limited where they can go. There's there's a very, very small handful of people who have that ability to to go places that they need to go when the camera's rolling or on stage over and over and over again. And you need a technique to do that, you know, and that's what you teach and that's what I've taught and and teach. And, you know, it's very important to have that in your back pocket, you know, and, you know, there's stuff that you read and you're there. You know, you look at an audition and it's like, got it. And there's stuff that, yeah. (laughs) Own it, own it. And, and, and you can find the truth in it immediately. Yeah. You know, viscerally, you feel it in your gut, you know, you feel it in your heart. It's not, it's not a mental thing. Although there is brains that comes into this. We'll talk about that later, but you got to feel it viscerally. And then there's stuff that you have to, that you look at and it's like, okay, what am I going to use for this? Right. Because it's not triggering. You know, and if you don't have that, if you don't have the things, the tools that you teach, you're not gonna be able to go there. Yeah, I don't teach acting. I teach, you know, truth. I want what part of your soul can you hand over and leave there on the on the stage or on that in that film or whatever? I don't want to see anybody act. You know, you know, everything that's ever happened to you in your life, the good, the bad, the ugly, all that shit. That's your gold as an actor, man. That's what you want to mind. That's what you want to expose. You want to be vulnerable. You want to be truthful. You know, you want to play. You want to take all that. And that's the paint to paint the canvas of the scene, you know? Correct. And it takes balls. Pardon my French. It takes absolutely to reveal that, you know, to to be naked. And I don't mean literally. No, but that's what acting is in front of a complete group of strangers 
whether it be on stage in front of a crowd or, you know, on set, there's a lot of people around, you know, and you're going to a place that you may have never admitted you went to, you know, or you may have tried to bury in the deep recesses of your mind. You know, you and I are very old school, Billy. My, when we grew up, we didn't show that stuff. Sure, no, you get oh, beat up. Was, <laughs> You'd be by, yeah. by, by our fathers. You yeah, know? exactly. Our mothers. <laughs> no, you don't show that. Yeah. Uh, so that was something that we had to overcome, you know, just the two of us and many, many people, because there's still, to a certain degree, a stigma for revealing that. Sure. And the, And the key is to be in the moment, in the truth of it, in the honesty of it, with no with no walls up, living it moment to moment with no walls up. And it's very difficult for people to do. You know, I mean, it's most people live their lives behind a wall. And our job is to rip the wall down and to show people the most vulnerable, the most sensitive the ugliest parts of yourself and we got to do it over and over again you know i press that because for a long time i was teaching on camera technique and and the thing you know you can get there once twice but when you're shooting you're shooting a master and you get rid of that you lose it completely in the master and then they reset and you got to come back and the star gets as close up first you know, especially when you're starting out and you're just mm-hmm. getting your. And then you got seven hours later from the first take of this scene, you got to get back to that place. Mm. You better be willing to drop those walls. Sure. And you better be able to find where you were the first time. Or you're close or they're not going to use your close up. Or your close up is going to be surface. It's going to be an idea of where you went truthfully seven hours ago sure and nobody wants to see fake nobody feels fake that's when you you know that's when you go to the kitchen and get some snacks when, when the movie is on that's when you bathroom that's when you check your phone to see if an, you know when when people are putting on an act of a true life feeling emotion reaction there's nothing worse than that you know yeah. they, i hate it I hate it. Anyway. And let me ask you a question. So how, how do you feel like, you know, growing up in Brooklyn has has helped you as an actor or has it been a hindrance? You know, how has it affected uh, your, your acting career? I think it helped. I think it helped. You Where'd know, you grow up? Uh, Bensonhurst. Where? Yeah. 17th and 71st. Okay. What school did you go to? Uh, I, went to pri- I went to private school. Okay. Because I went to Utrecht. <laughs> I got kicked out of Utrecht. <laughs> That's where I was supposed to go. <laughs> I got kicked out. Yeah. Well, you know, we all got, we all got kicked out of one time or another. To, not to go too far off the, you know, the, the path of uh, of the theme here, but I was, a, I was a hockey player growing up. So I went, I had to go to New England because New York hockey, we used to play in Brooklyn. Remember in Coney Island? Roll of skate, but the role of uh, electrical tape. Remember the puck was electrical <laughs> tape? Yes. Huh? <laughs> electrical tape in the freezer so it would slide for like two minutes before it yeah. defrosted, yeah. right? With the old four and four, the two and two the roller. roller skates. Yeah. Did yeah, you we play were, in in Brooklyn, of course. You know what? You know the goalie. We used to take. Uh, uh, you remember the big yellow pages? 
We yeah, used to I tape them, like, tape them to the shins. That was that, you know, we didn't have goalie equipment. <laughs> I used to play in the Fort Hamilton roller hockey league. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I played there a couple of times <laughs> back in the day. But it was more like a brawl with a stick in it. And yeah, a, it's and a roller. rollerama. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It was the best. It was the roller derby with hockey. Roller derby. Yeah, my That's my uh, my dad uh, worked at Paragon. Remember Paragon? Sure. Okay, so he and I, so I played for the Paragon team. Paragon, for those of you who are not from New York City, is a sporting goods store that's been around for a very very long time. So my dad ran that place. So I really? and I playing when I was around nine ten years old, and I played on their team for a while before, before I got all my sporting equipment. <laughs> it was, I don't want to plug them because I got bad feelings about them now. But that wasn't great. That was the only place. That was the place. Know, and, yeah, that was the place we used to get on the train, come in from the neighborhood, and yeah. and pick up stuff. So, but, but, you know, going back to being from Brooklyn, I mean, I know when I came out to Hollywood, people were like, the you, accent. Really, you really need to lose that accent, you know, yeah. you really, you know, and I was like, you know, I was like, fuck you, you know, but I was like, listen, this is what separates me from all those other guys. Right? right. This is who I am. So I knew what I was selling to Hollywood, that, that role, that role on that fall guy, they were looking for a street kid. He was a leader of a gang named Billy. His name, his name was Billy and he was the leader of a gang trying to bully kids to deal drugs. I mean, it was like perfect. It's, it's perfect. So that, you know, I, I just played, you know, Billy <laughs> and well, you know, I used you, it. If you think about it, we always use. Sure. Our, we always use ourselves. We may use portions of ourselves. We may adapt it. We may use an as if. You know, mm-hmm. and not maybe a, a real situation that we were in, but we always use portions of ourselves. We may use a cleaned up portion of yourself. Look, I know when I was a kid, when my accent was really bad, when I would meet a girl's parents, I would clean it up a little bit. Because sure. I was a bad kid, like we all were bad kids, right? We were street kids. We did what we did, right? Yeah. But unless the old man was a knockaround guy, you didn't want him to know that this was your thing. So <laughs> that's a character. Sure. Right? When you're with your boys, that's a character. Yeah. When you're alone with your girl, that's a character. Everything. And so, you know, being from Brooklyn, we got to see a lot of different types of people. And we also learned, like I, we talked about right at the beginning, when you got a thousand no's before that, before you hit Y in the book, we learned tenacity. We yeah. learned not taking no for an answer. We took not, we learned to not take shit. True. And you know, not to get negative about the business or the or or the or the town, but it's a hard place. Hollywood is a hard place, and it is a business for most people. We're artists, so we take things emotionally, viscerally. We feel everything. We take it personally, and there's a love there. So for us, every note hurts a little bit. Yeah, uh, you're gonna laugh. As we're speaking, I thought I turned it off. My manager is calling me right now. Let's hope it's for something good, but I'm going to stay on. Good good luck. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll take it. But if you don't learn, if life is very easy for you, if you don't have the tools to deal with adversity, it's a very tough business, a very tough industry to be in. You know, you have to learn how to scrap, how to throw your hands, how to stand up until the bell rings, how to keep punching. Mm-hmm. You can't give up. Yeah, it's, you're going to get knocked down. Oh, you got to get back lot, up. A lot. Even those people who hit right away mm-hmm. going to sure. hit us. It, it, it's, it's inevitable in the business because 
styles change, the, the, you know, genres change, things change. It's an ever-evolving industry and business. And so you have to be able to cope with the adversity of it. And, you know, if we learn nothing in Brooklyn, it's how to roll with the punches. Mm-hmm. And, that's, and that's a very, very important skill. And if you think about it, even in old school Hollywood, most of the people who founded this industry were New Yorkers, transplanted mm-hmm. off New Yorkers. So there's that element. And sure. so it's important. So I think it helped also being in New York. Be, you know, you see a lot of different people, you know, so acting class every day, <laughs> every day, riding every. the subway is an acting class. And back in the day, I used to tell this to my students and I still do it now, but it's not. It used to be something that I did on purpose. I would see a homeless guy. I would see a couple fighting. I would see whatever, a little kid playing with sure. a toy. And I would study it. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's mannerisms. There's there's a dialect, an accent. Sure. Physicality. I just recently played a, a homeless crackhead in a film called Signs of Love. And... Um, I, I actually played Sean Penn's kid's father in the film, uh, Dylan and Hopper. Awesome. Yeah, I got. Yeah, it was great. I, you know, I met Sean at the thing. It was, it was, it was a very, very good experience. And so, you know, and you know, my day gig, my my, you know, my non-acting gig. Can we talk and, about that for a little bit? Yeah, about a minute. Let me finish the story. We I mean, can go off on it in a minute because it's uh, a wealth of contacts and information. Yeah. But uh, of course, you could talk about it. It's part of who I am. So. I have, there's a homeless guy that hangs out at the joints all the time. Okay. Julio. I love this guy. I've been taking care of him for years. When COVID was, was hitting really bad. I was giving him money every chance I got. Anyway, he's a great guy, ex-Marine, but became a crackhead. He fell on hard times and it's an addiction. It's very hard to overcome, but I utilized a lot of his mannerisms, a lot of, because I'm playing a crackhead, you know, I'm playing a, but the guy had a great heart, you know, and so does Julio. You know, he just came up on hard times, couldn't control himself. It's addiction. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. But, you, you know, some of his things I kind of implemented. I, 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 I call it, you know, my, when I use my Julio, my inner Julio, you know, so and that is a great thing about being from New York City. Yeah, you know, you're not that. driving everywhere. You're not sequestered from the rest of the world. You are as soon as you leave your house to go to the deli. You know, and for those of you in Los Angeles, delis are basically little small stores that are all over the city, like every 10 feet away. And you could buy everything you could ever need. Yeah. You get an awesome bagel that I, I've been jonesing. <laughs> the best. Okay. So anyway, so you run into you. You are accosted by humanity as soon as you door. You know, it's a constant interaction. Uh, it's it's an improv class to the nth degree. Okay. Yep. Every interaction. You have to be a different person with everybody you deal with. Okay. Because some people are not going to take the hard edge shit that we grew up with. You got to learn how to soft soap. You got to learn, you got to know when to use which part of yourself. And that is why I think being from New York and Brooklyn is, was one of the best parts. Plus, you know, we play, I mean, I, and so did you, we play a lot of Tough guys. We play a lot of street guys. Yeah. We have guys. to know where that comes from. There's sure. nothing worse than seeing somebody. And please, anybody who's out there who's a friend of yours from Orange County, I have some 
Anyway, I can't stand seeing a gangster from Orange County. Come on. <laughs> okay? Yeah. I it hear doesn't you. work. It uh, doesn't work. Yeah. So, yeah, but yeah. we grew up around the real guys, and we know their behavior. We used to see them. I used to hang out with them. I, run, I ran with them. So, you know, when I play those guys, I just steal from the guys I grew up with. All their behavior, the way they dress, the way they walk, the way they talk, everything about them. I mean, that's, you know, an actor prepares. There's the research right there. But we grew up around that you know, surrounded by it. I mean, I can't tell you how many guys I, I played from the neighborhood, you know, that I took his walk, his accent, his his behavior, you know, just, I, I stole that shit. It's data from my actor toolbox. And, and you know, I mean, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. I, I give you a quick funny story is uh, I did a movie called Pretty Woman, right? And originally it was called- Anybody, of course, everybody knows that, bro. Yeah, but-, but it, but but it was a little it was a much darker film about drugs and prostitution. It was called Three Thousand. The original film was Three Thousand, and it was a dark film. It was not it was not the Cinderella version. There was the the drug dealing pimp, and that was my character, Carlos. So right. Julia Roberts owes me money. Her, her roommate owes me money from doing drugs. I'm trying to get a work from here. The original script, he kicks her to the curb <laughs> at, at the end of the film. And Laura Sandra Como ODs. I mean, it was a darker film, right? But when I got the audition for it, I was living in Hollywood, like Hollywood Boulevard was like three or four blocks down the street. And I was like, you know, I got this audition for this Hollywood Boulevard pimp. So I said, all right, I walked down to Hollywood Boulevard, you know, back in the day, there were pimps and prostitutes on, the, you know, hanging out on the streets. I befriended a pimp. I said, right, I'm an actor. I'm doing research. And he was this cool guy, man. He's Jose. He had a, he had a hat, this really cool hat. And I go, yeah, but you, know, you told yeah, I go, where'd you get that hat? And he said, Hollywood hat shop down the street. I was like, I went to Hollywood hat shop, got that same exact hat. He had a dress shirt with, he cut off the sleeves on, on the, and I was, I went to Goodwill. I got me a nice flashy dress shirt. I cut off the sleeves. He had a tattoo on his arm. I put the tattoo. I, he had this walk, this behavior, the way he stood, you know, his, his kind of chin up his shoulders back. I stole all of that. He had a gold chain. I took all of that. And that's what I brought into Gary Marshall for the audition. And as soon as I walked in the room, Gary Marshall said, I love that. I love that. You know, so yeah. It was the it was the real guy that I brought in, you know, and that was through observation, watching some guy, watching his walk, watching his talk, watching his behavior and giving that to to the character. You know, and I think it's really important for actors to do that where, wherever you live. I mean, it's great if you live in New York because you can ride a subway and see 7000, you know, different uh, characters. But, you know, wherever you are, you want to open up your eyes. You really want to open in your eyes and you want to watch behavior. You know, you see that cop, look at him, look at that behavior. You may have to play that cop one day. You see that crack kid one day. You may have to play that guy. You may have to play, you know, look at that wardrobe, you know, that piece. It's all data uh, for, for actors in their actor toolbox. So they want to really become aware of their senses and open up their eyes. Well said. Correct. And I couldn't agree with you more. Could agree with you more. You call it the actor toolbox. I used to say the I used to call it the emotional Rolodex. But nowadays, nobody knows what the hell a Rolodex is. <laughs> what do I need? What do I need here? So you roll up, uh, okay, and you know, and then you could you can use something from your own life or something that you saw and you experienced. The key is to be open and non-judgmental, you know, because you can't judge the characters you're playing. You can't. Sure. Yeah, bad guys don't think they're bad guys. <laughs> no, bad guys, and and you and I both know some of the worst guys are the most charismatic, funny, charming sure. guys in the world. Until they're not. Uh -huh. And it, it's knowing when to 
I was going to say pull the trigger, but that's too literal. It's knowing when <laughs> to flip the switch. It's yeah. knowing when, because, you know, bad guys don't walk around snarling and growling. Bad guys have kids. Bad yeah. guys go to PTA meetings. Bad guys have wives and moms who they yeah. adore. So if you look at something too literally also, I know I'm segueing into something else. You're going to play a stereotype. You're going to play an idea mm. of a human being who may have gone in a different direction. So you have to be open to it and you can't judge these people. There's always a reason why people are the way they are, you know, and it ha and it generally, in my opinion, and I, I hope you agree with me. And if you don't, I'd love to talk about it. It comes down to their vulnerability from when they were kids and how Absolutely. they and how they learn to protect themselves sure. from, from being a mess all the time. From yeah, walking the, yeah. You hit the walk. nail on the head. Yeah, that public persona. So that's exactly it. So, you know, and, and but the key is to not, as you're absorbing, you have to make it your own. Okay. So you can see a guy, uh, uh, why did Carlos wear that hat? You know, like what, what was it? What was he guarding? What was he protecting? You know, and the act, actors have to remember it's not just the edifice. There has to be a reason. There's always a reason. And it may not be obvious right at the beginning. Example, this is something that I used in a movie a long time ago. And then uh, the woman that I taught with for 20 years, Susan Batson, whose birthday was yesterday. Happy birthday, Susan. Uh, Happy birthday, Susan. I love, I love Susan Batson. So do I. So do I. You know, I've used it because there's you, you, the thing of never being fulfilled, never having enough, never filling that hole, you know, using food in a way to try to squash or push down that need, that vulnerability is something that I've used in a film. And Brad, I don't know if you ever noticed, I guarantee you did. Brad Pitt is always doing this, always punching, <laughs> always <laughs> going in. Uh -huh. And most, you know, it's... They, it resonates for people as uh, a need, but they don't really understand where it comes from. You and I knowing that that's a choice. Mm -hmm. Hungry on set and he's eating a bag of chips. There, there, there's a character, there's a human being, the person he's playing in this movie or whatever it is. There's a reason why they can never have enough. Mm. You know, And so it, it's interesting because... I didn't take it from Brad. I took it just because I had a character who just always needed more, always needed more. So I just, I made him walk into every scene and walk out of every scene. And I made, I made always something in his mouth, always never had enough. He was a race car driver. So he, he just, he always needed more and he was always moving, you know, and that, that's a way of implementing, but you have to understand why, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? If you put something on, it's never going to feel right. Yep. Unless you identify with it, why do I do this? Why do I wear the chains? You know, why do I wear the pinky ring? You, you know, there's Absolutely. you got to know, and you got to know from the audition because it's very smart to dress the part in an audition, and it's much easier now because we're doing all self tapes. You know, the businesses change the self tapes. You have to be that character. You have to be, and the and the the people, the director, the casting director, whoever it is. As soon as you get, you have to grab them immediately mm. or they engage, right? It's a business. Yeah. There's much else going on. And you take your stuff seriously. You do your preparation. You do your work. It's got to be grounded or it's just edifice. And in our industry, edifice doesn't work. 
if it doesn't come from someplace inside, a visceral reason for it, it's just props. You know, it's just yeah. wardrobe. Anyway, yeah. I, no, I know it's great. I, I, I agree 100%. I mean, when I teach my actors, listen, you want to create the backstory of your childhood. You want to know what happened because it's that childhood that creates the adult. It's that unfulfilled need that creates the persona. It's that little girl that mommy flushed her goldfish down the toilet bowl and she couldn't save her little fishy while well, she grows up and she becomes the president of save the whales. Because, you know, the persona was created. I'm going to save all the fishies. Or, or it's a little boy that, that daddy beat up mommy and he couldn't protect mommy. Well, he grows up and he becomes a cop because now he can protect and serve all the mommies in the world. It always comes back to the childhood. So you want to dig that deep and you want to know and you want to make those choices because, you know, most actors aren't. They're lazy. They're just trying to memorize the words on the page. You dig that deep, you make those choices, you know why your character walks and talks and dresses and whatever, and you're bringing all of that to that audition and you're showing them the character and you know more about the character than everybody else because they didn't write that backstory, you did. You did a private moment exercise. You know what that character did last night. You know what that character has in their pockets. You know everything about that character. So what that does, it gives you confidence. So when you are playing, you're in you're in play mode. You're not in, oh shit, what's my next line? I You're in, I know who I am. I know this character better than the writer who wrote it because I wrote the backstory. He didn't. He, he didn't even give, give the character a last name you know i want to i gave the character last name and the last name says a lot about you or, or where i grew up you know you we grew up in brooklyn we're a product of that environment you know that's what formed us you know if you grew up in east la or you know chicago or boston you know that's a different guy if your last name's o'brien or your last name's hernandez that's a different guy so why don't you give your character a last name why don't you know where they come from why don't you know all that good stuff because that is what's going to separate you from everybody else because talent lies within your choices so the bigger, the bolder, the stronger your choices, the more you load it up with your truth, your soul, this character, the more fun you're going to have. And anybody's going to see that and they're going to feel it. Not only, you know, through the words, they're going to feel it. And your job as an actor is to make them feel. What is the given circumstance that is seen? How do you make them feel? How do you make them laugh? How do you make them cry? How do you, you know, that's what it's all about for me. That's what I teach. They don't feel the words. The words push, push the plot along. What you're feeling as the character saying those words, what you're sending, that's what tells the story. The words move the plot. Your emotional life tells the story. How many times in real life, and this is something we do in the UIA, we do everywhere, you're feeling one thing, but you're sending something else. Mm -hmm. Right? Give you an example that I used to use when I was teaching all the time. Young actors always feel like it's a big uh, you know, step in the right direction if they can cry during a scene, right? This used to make me nuts, okay? <laughs> because nobody wants to cry. Yeah, they don't want, you want to not cry. <laughs> nobody wants to cry. So it's not a big victory if you can get yourself to tears in the middle of a scene, okay? Because nobody wants to do that. It's the inner conflict. It's the emotion overtaking your ability to control that emotion, when the tears come through, when the audience sees you wrestling, and if you do release, that gives the audience permission to release. But mm -hmm. nobody has a goal when they're doing a scene or when they're having a conversation or to cry. Nobody mm -hmm. wants to cry, okay? Little babies, when they want a cookie, okay? 
they cry, but it's fake. And you know, they're full of shit, but you give them the cookie because you love them anyway. But <laughs> when you're paying whatever, you're watching a movie, you don't want it. Nobody wants to see that, mm-hmm. you know, it, inner conflict. And it's like you said, the backstory, the relationship with the person you're talking to or about, the thing that you need and want that creates that overwhelming release. Okay. It's not character Joe cries as he says these words. Great. That's a result. Why? They don't tell you why. So if you don't create that and know that your character doesn't really want to, okay, that they it's coming because they can't stop it. I used to use the same kind of analogy for, for musical theater. The whole idea behind singing, you know, if, if you just sing because it says breaks into song, then it's bullshit and nobody's going to feel and it'll be pretty and they're going to go get a candy bar at the intermission. Okay. But if you are overwhelmed to the point where words no longer do the job and you must sing, to, to evoke and to, and to relay this emotion that you're feeling in this moment, then people are going to be weeping with you. They're going to feel why you're singing because words weren't enough. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's kind of like, don't take everything so literally on the page. If you don't have a reason for it, don't do it because it's bullshit. And to go along with your other, uh, the, the other part of what you were saying, the key to booking and every student that we have, they want to work, right? We all want to work is to know why you're saying everything that you're saying. Okay. You must have a reason for everything that you're saying, even in a procedural, you know, you must know why otherwise it's words and the audience turns off everything. And you must give it a backstory, give it a moment before, before the scene starts in your audition, know what happened right before the audition. There's nothing worse than an actor who starts a scene like it's the beginning of a scene. Mm-hmm. Okay. You were alive for 40, 50, 60, however years before that scene started. Sure. You walked in or you were in the middle of a conversation. And you know it. Most audition scenes start in the middle of the conversation. So if you're coming at it like it's your first line, it's your first sentence. You lost them in the first line. If you don't come at it with the same energy, the same impetus, the same need, the same everything, super objective, the same motive for, for having that conversation, and it has to be built up to that action, you're going to lose them. Sure. Especially in this self-tape world now, going back to self-tape, it's, you know, I tell my actors all the time, first off, you got to load up that previous circumstance. You got to know, you got to make a big choice. You know, where are you coming from? If I say, where are you coming from? And you say, oh, I'm just a regular old day. Everything's all great. Cool. cool. That's a choice, right? But if I said, you know, you just found out your best friend got, died in a car accident, you're going to come into the room a little differently. Or if I said you were just at the bar and you had three shots of tequila, you're going to come in. Now you got a sensory condition. You got the alcohol. Maybe you've been in the program. You're trying to cover the fact that you have alcohol on you. Now you got all kinds of fun stuff to play with it coming in through the door. You know, so that previous circumstance choice is so, so powerful. And now in this day and age with self-tapes, you know, they're looking through tape to tape. If you don't want to save the best shit for the end, because they may not get to the end. If you come in dry, no, no choices in the beginning, they're, they're fast forwarding to the next person. 
So your job is to load up that previous circumstance, load up the relationship, know that the words on the page are just the words on the page. They don't necessarily mean they're true. Okay. You can make choices. You know, everybody's going to be, you know, if it's bold, everybody's going to be screaming it. Well, flip the script, go the other freaking way. You know, you can be screaming on the inside, but you're covering because you don't want to, you know, you know, whatever your choices are, you, you if you want to cry, but you're covering the tears, you know, you, it's, it's exciting when you see that little glimmer of the, you know, the tear in the corner of the eye. And now they're going, oh, now the audience is leaning and going, oh, is he going to cry? Is he going to cry? Now you have them. They're hooked, man. They're waiting. Oh, my God. Is he going to cry? Once a tear drops, you know, okay, he cried. But, you know, it's that moment where the tears in there. That, yeah, it's, that, the it's, it's captivating. Yeah. It's the, it's the, it's the foreplay. Sure. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the buildup and giving the audience the permission. If you are in that place, if you are in that real place, but you have not released Okay, it, it puts the audience on the edge of their seat and it brings them in. As soon as you are playing or you get to the end, the result, they check out. So it's that tension also, that tension, which is so crucial. The, the, and like we said, because no, unless you're at the, the height of an argument, you're not screaming. And nobody screams the whole time in an argument. Well, maybe my father did, but that was a different. <laughs> okay, uh, you, you know, you you go at things from different angles, right? You always we're constantly trying to figure out how to get what we want, our super objective in a scene, the scene that is life. What do I want? Okay, this is not working. Nicey, nicey is not working. Maybe I'm going to get a little aggressive. Maybe I'm get a little threatening. Maybe I'm going to I'm going to go passive aggressive. Ah, I, I don't really want it. There's a million different ways to go after the same thing. Sure. Now, if you don't create who your character is, if you don't give yourself where you walked in from, you're not going to know intellectually where that character would go. Okay? You're not creating, if you don't create that backstory, you don't have to know as long as you have created where they're coming from. Then it's real moment to moment. Then you're not planning what you're doing. Because planning, I've said this my in every class I've ever taught. If you plan something in a scene, it's fake. You're mm -hmm. thinking what you're doing. That means you're not in the moment next. Okay? If And when you walk out of an audition and you say, ah, crushed it. I did everything I wanted to do. You sucked. <laughs> <laughs> because... You had a guideline. Yeah, a preconceived idea. Yeah. Right. And so and so then you were not in the moment. Yeah. There were no, I mean, there can't now. Now let's put a little codicil to that. There are times when a director does want to see some kind of emotional result at a certain point in the script. Okay. We can't help it. We're the actors. We are the conduits. We're telling the story, but there's other people a lot of the time shaping where we go. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then you have to understand how to put a trigger in. And I, I don't know if this is a term you use, Billy, in your class, but you, you know what I'm talking about. Sure. Where, where there's a portion or a section of the story in the script that is going to elicit or bring up a certain emotional response so that you're not thinking about it. So you can put a previous thing, a pre, uh, you know, a, a sense memory in or something which triggers that result. I hate the mm -hmm. word result. Yeah. Yeah, but well. if the director wants to see something at a certain point and you don't want to phone it in or fake it, sure. you figure out how you're going to bring that up in yourself 
to get it there at that point. So yeah. you can, you know, but the key is those are few and far between because if you're planning what you're doing moment to moment, you're not moment to moment. Sure. You're in, you're in your head. Yeah. And it's, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it. Yeah. But there's a certain degree of, you know, I, I used to love doing these run and gun films when we first started, you know, when, when, you know, you didn't have permits and you were just doing stuff because yeah, you don't have time. Filmmaking. <laughs> right? yeah, you don't have time to, and you know, how it is in the streets in New York, especially yeah. back when we started, it was sure. like, no, it was not so, yeah. so, so again, but, uh, so you had to kind of get things fast. There wasn't a lot of time to plan, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. where am I? What's the end mark? Okay, let's go. Roll it. Let's go. You know, and so whatever comes at you, I mean, think about this, a little segue. One of the best lines in, in Urban Cowboy is, I'm walking here. No, you're a midnight, midnight cowboy. Uh, what did I say? Urban, Urban cowboy. <laughs> Travolta, can I tell you, he's a good guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, that, yeah, but that's but that's totally improv. <laughs> you know, totally the, improv. Yeah. Right? Dustin but he didn't break character. That's what I loved about it is he 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 didn't break character for a moment. He had the cigarette, the whole thing. I mean, you know, that was a and brilliant, brilliant. On the thing yeah. And, yeah. and think and so that like think about it. If you were planning how you were gonna walk across the street talking to John Boyd, you wouldn't have done that. No, you would said you would have looked at the cameraman or the director and said, "Oh, this can't fucked up the shot. Want to go again?" No. And then you kill one of the most amazing moments in cinematic history. Sure, it's the greatest, you yeah. know. And and that happened truly. You know, they were on a long lens. They were they were that was guerrilla filmmaking. That was you know they weren't half those people in the background were were not extras. Oh, you yeah. know, so they were stealing that shot. <laughs> And, and and the cab went through the barricade, you know, but it's yeah. it's a brilliant moment. But, you know, what I love about that, I use that as an example all the time because I do I teach my actors, you know, animal exercises and animal work. A lot of people don't know what an animal exercise is. But, you know, I'm like Marlon Brando and the Godfather was doing a bulldog, you know, shot in the throat, you know, and nobody knew he was doing a bulldog shot in the throat. But it was, you know, amazing to watch. Right. Magic. You know? And yeah. seeing uh, Dustin Hoffman, do, you know, he was playing a rat. You know, he had this little way he walked. And oh, I, you know, I mean, just his yeah. whole behavior was completely different because he made that choice. So right. I, I use that as an example all the time to, you know, get out of your own behavior. How do you walk? How do you talk? Find, you know, try on an animal. If your character were an animal, what animal would they be? Try it on. Put it on. See how it fits. You know, play with it. We teach the same stuff. Animal yeah. to me is one of my favorite first choices and that's mine too my because it gives right it gives yeah. you your walk yeah it gives you it gives you your reaction time and your volatility right i play a lot of bad guys so if i need to be you know if i need to be a little bit more reserved i'm not going to use what i would use i mean i've used snake a lot you know because they they lash out and mm -hmm. you need and there's almost no warning with a snake, you yeah. know, and they're very, very slippery. You know, I've played slimy guy. So, you know, you, you mm -hmm. kind of have to get that physicality where you glide instead of, you know, bulldog. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. It's uh, and so it gives me kind of the direction of where I'm going very often. I mean, I always go, go with the need of the character first. I always go with the vulnerability. And then I'll, most of the time I'll go with what animal is this guy? 
mm-hmm. you know, and then the rest of the stuff comes in, you know, but it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I didn't know you taught that as well. Oh, that's and, my favorite. The, the, my two favorite exercises, is the animal exercise and the private moment exercise. Private and I use them in together. So I'll be, I'll be the animal in the private moment. And I'll, I'll find my space, you know, I walk around their space, you know, I mean, I once played a Cuban cowboy. It's like, how do you play a Cuban cow? I'm a kid from Brooklyn playing a Cuban cowboy. Right. But, you know, I, I, I went and I, I, I went to Goodwill and I got me some cowboy boots and I got me a cowboy hat and I got me, you know, Wrangler jeans and I got me some country Western CDs and I got all that shit. And I went into his world. And as soon as I, and I found his animal. And then as soon as I stepped into the boots, literally stepped into the boots, like walking in high heel shoes, you know, all of a sudden, and then put those Wrangler jeans on all of a sudden I found his walk, the way he moved and then playing in the animal. I found his behavior and, and his voice and all, I mean, it all came from, you know, an animal exercise and a private moment exercise. What animal you know? did you, can I ask? He was, he was kind of like a chicken. Okay. <laughs> you know, like He was kind of the way he moved. Yeah. Yeah. Little, yeah. yeah. You know, Got I mean, I, I've, I've used a lion. I've used uh Headpull. I've used a Doberman Pinscher. I've oh. used what? You know, these are characters. Yeah, for characters. I mean, the Doberman, if you watch the footage, you know, I'm not, I don't look anything. I don't behave like me. I don't walk like me. I don't talk like me. You know, I mean, when I was a lion, I asked the wardrobe lady, I had a black leather jacket on, you know, I said, I want you to put fur around the collar. I said, yeah. I want you to put fur around my wrist. And, then, you know, it's just a subliminal thing. Nobody knows I'm playing lion. But when you see right. me get mad in the scene, my veins are popping out. I'm like, ah, you know. Right, right. But it came through the animal. You know, when I played a silverback gorilla, and you know, that was my choice. But in, when I got into a conflict with the other actor, just I didn't plan it. It wasn't planned. But I beat my chest, man. I was like, come on, mother. I'm fucking right here, you know. And that came because I knew the animal, you yeah, know, yeah. the beating of the chest. And the best part of that moment is it came from your prep, yeah. not from the idea, I'm going to be a gorilla in this scene. No. It, came, it was completely improvised and it came from the prep. When I was in, when I was in, I went to prep school, I'm sorry. Uh, and our football coach, I, I love this guy. I still love him to this day. I still call him by his last name. I can't, I can't call him, you know, Doug. I, I got to call him Mr. James. The, everybody has the will to win but it's the will to prepare. And he used to do it like this, the will to prepare. And that's the same for us. Sure. You put the time before. And a lot of people get lazy, man. It's, you know, you, you got three pages, you spend, you know, I, I spend a lot of time, you know, and my students used to be, why? You can get this down in, you know, in, in a half hour. It's like, well, because the words are this much of what I got to do here. Sure. You know, it, it's all of the stuff that creates the reason why he says those words that is so important. And that takes time hmm. to, to, for it to be inside of you, even though you're using experiences from your own life. Many of the times, you know, a lot of sense memories and a lot of experience, you still have to bring them back up, you know, and as human beings, we have a tendency to guard or to recess a lot of the stuff that we need to pull up foreseen a lot of the real truthful stuff so it takes a little while to bring that back you know nobody wants to feel anger or pain or 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 disappointment or abandonment nobody wants to go to those things you can't play them but that's what separates the the good actors from the bad actors you know hey let me ask you so or at least help them 
Uh, how, how, you know, I know you mentioned self-tapes and, you know, I'm curious if, you know, for you, you know, back in the day, we'd have to go into the room now because of the pandemic, there are self-tape auditions. I mean, how do you feel about self-tapes? Do you like them? Do you not like them? What's, how do you feel? Uh, okay. I'm going to, I'm, uh, you know, you and I know each other a very long time. So I'm I, not to disillusion or to, to, to I, I don't like them. I don't like self-taping. I, I actually hate self-taping. Uh, the only good thing about it is that you don't have to get to the audition. You don't have to go there. You don't have to get on the train or for me, get on my motorcycle, ride in the rain. You don't, you don't have the, and I loved being in the room, you know, and especially when you're doing it for a little while, you know, everybody who's casting. So you have already a kind of a relationship. If they're bringing you in, they know what you do to a certain extent, even if it's new people, uh, you know, you're coming with a reputation and you get to feed off the energy of the room, Yeah, uh, you know, which is very, very important to me. And number two, you get an adjustment. So if you're if you come prepared, which, you know, we do, even if you're a little off base with how the story is being told for the for the vision of the director, they give you if you're in the moment, they're going to give you another chance. You know, and yeah. they so an adjustment. And if you have any any technique, you take that adjustment and you go in that. And that's how you book. You know, the the ability sure. to be directed very often. I'm sure you've experienced this. Directors, especially in callbacks, or in, you know, they'll direct you just to see if you can be directed. They may love what you're doing, sure. yeah, but they may but, be afraid that you're too fucking headstrong, yeah. and you're not. They're not going to be able to change what you're doing, so they may throw something at you which makes no sense. Yeah, to yeah. you just to see if you can take an adjustment, you know, and if you're, if you have any skill or if you're, and if you're already open, right. Cause we've done the prep, you know, we can go in any direction with the scene. You know? sure. If they give you a, an adjustment, you, 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 you emotionally grounded immediately and you go and you, and you go and you wing it. And it's the fun part of it. It's the fun part of the audition. You don't have that with the self tape, you know, unfor with self tapes, you, you make your choices and there's nobody there telling you if you're a little off base there's nobody to, you know the energy is different you know it's like the difference for me between practice and the game going to an audition is a, that's that's the game you know because you're not going to go to the major leagues unless you play well at the audition right in in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the at home you know it, it never had the intensity for me of going to the room being ready you can't do it again if you if you drop lines, you know, unless they really know you in the room, you know, you screw up once, twice, you get stuck, something glitches, you're done. Yeah. You know, at home, you could do it 30 times if you want. So I made a rule and I did this with my wife, actually, because she was getting mad at me. <laughs> I wasn't prepared as I would be for a regular audition. And we'd be doing, you know, seven, eight, nine takes. And she would get pissed at me. She's like, do you know this? So hard. She puts me in my place. And uh, love that. Yeah. Well, you know, you need that. And yeah. I committed to myself that I'm coming in. I'm, I'm giving myself three. And if I don't hit it on three, it's on me. Mm -hmm. That's. And so it, it up the stakes for, for the self tape situation, but you still lose the energy of the room you know, the uh, and, you know, when you've done this for a while, 
there's relationships with casting directors. You know, it's sure. there's a there's kind of a bond there because if you book with people, yeah. they know they're going to get something out of you. You may save them another three hours of bullshit. That's why they're bringing you in. <laughs> they want you yeah. to book. Yeah, you make them look good. <laughs> exactly right. With a self tape, okay. I could. I, I'm talking about this for way longer than I bet you wanted to, but they're also seeing hundreds of people, whereas. If they're casting out of New York, they're going to see maybe 40 people, you know, so they're going to really fine tune who they see because they don't have they don't want to pay for the office time. They don't have it. They got to get it done. They got to get that role filled. So you're going against 300, 400 people. Right. With no adjustment, no energy of the room. And they may or may not know who you are as opposed to going into a room where you've been time after time, you mm. booked. That's why they brought right. you back. And they know you're good or they wouldn't have brought you in. Right. Cause they're not going to waste their time. They're going to give you a little leeway. If you glitch, they're going to give you an adjustment. If you're a little off base and if you're in the zone, you're going to feel their energy. Sure. You know, I, I mean, you feed off of it. You know when a room yeah. is with. I've walked out the room going, yeah, I got that part. And the phone rang by the time I got to the car. Ring, ring. <laughs> right. right? Yeah. Very rarely do you walk out, unless you're kidding yourself, and say, nah, nah, I, I, I sucked. And you hear something. Or conversely, I was like, when I walk out and I have no idea what I did, but it feels good. Yeah. I know I'm in the game. Yeah. It goes back to what I said at the beginning of the interview. If you walk out and you're like, crushed it, did everything I wanted to do. <laughs> you're not. No, yeah, no, no good. Turn your head, you know, but if you walk out and you're like, man, I have no idea where that went, but it felt great. And the energy in the room felt good. You know, you're in the game, you know, you got to show. Yeah. You know, for me, I, I, I personally, uh, I agree with everything you said about, you know, you have casting directors that know that you, they love you. They cast you before they're bringing you back in. It's, it's family. You're coming in, they want you, they're rooting for you. You know, that's a different energy. You, you know, I do mock auditions here with my actors and I give them that same director feedback. Okay. I love your choices. Can you give me something else? You know, and then they give you the same exact shit and it's like, okay, you're not directable. So I train my actors to when preparing you know, try it every which way, you know, okay, follow your instincts, go this way and then flip it, go the other way. So when you get into that room and that director goes, can you give me something else? You got, you already have something else lined up and ready to go. Yeah, I got something else. And you flip the script on them. You give them something, something else. And they go, wow, that's a, an actor that's directable. I, I love that. So, you know, you want to give them exactly what they asked for, because that's a test. They're going to throw you the curveball. You want to knock it out of the park. Now, that's why I love the room. Now, I found that, you know, I teach it here at my studio with, with my actors, and I put a lot of actors on tape when they have their self tapes. You know, I got agents calling my, I'm, I, don't, I got a wait list. The agents call me up, please, can you get my actor in? They got a self tape due for it's for a big thing, or whatever. And I try to get them in here because I've got a reputation of if, if I put you on tape, you're booking that fucking part. <laughs> Next time I got a big one. Yeah, but I, I'm serious. I, I agents come to me because when I put my actors on tape, I'm I give them the performance. I give them everything. I fill that frame with everything. I'm not the 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 fucking wrinkled curtain with the sides in the hands, you know. 
I'm going to, when they see my piece of footage, it got the wardrobe on, it's lit right, it's frame right, the sound is right, everything about it. It's like they could take my footage and put it right on their fucking TV. <laughs> it's that good. <laughs> you know, I'm giving them the performance and then I'm loading it up with the big, big choices, previous circuit. You know, there's so much choices going on in there that you're serving it up going, this is the character. Here you go. You're welcome. I've done the job for you. All you got to do is put this on the film, you know. The writer didn't even know how cool this character was. Exactly. Exactly. But that's your job is to change their mind. They think they know what they want till they see you. And you came in with an accent or you did this. You know, it's like I, I tell the story all the time. You know, one of my TV series, but, you know, in 1987, I, I landed my own TV series. I started the Fox Network, right? The, they were looking for a surfer dude from Venice Beach. That's how they described him, with a parrot on his shoulder, right? And I read this shit and I went, no. I said, I seem like the Fonz. I grew up watching Henry Winkler. You know, he's cool. Yeah. Leather jacket, snapped the, you know. I, I, I saw a guy named Vinny Barbarino on Welcome Back, Cotter. He had a Brooklyn accent. He was kind of like not the brightest, sharpest tool in the shed, you know. I remember a guy, you know, the 68 Elvis comeback special with the leather jacket. You know, I took, I, I took all, I, I took all of that and I, I put it together like this, you know, and I, and I created a character and that's what I brought into the room. The leather jacket, the the wife beater, the gold chain, the hair, the thing, the accent, whatever. All those guys were a server dude. <laughs> yeah. I walked in and I changed their mind. And and the, you know the character, the, the the show took place in Venice Beach, but I was a kid from Brooklyn <laughs> who lived yeah. above the garage, like the Fonz. And then they started <laughs> writing in the newspaper, the Fonz of the eighties. But I just sold them exactly what they sold me as a kid. Right. You know, so it's it's your your job as an actor to change their mind, man. It doesn't matter what they're looking for. You yeah. can show them you, with your choices. You can change their mind. Yeah, I'm going to tell you I'm going to tell you a quote that I've used for 23 plus years of teaching. And you and feel free to use it, Bill, if you don't have your own version of it already. It's never wrong if it's real. Period. OK, it may not be the way they wanted that storyline to be sold or told, but it's not wrong. If it's real, if it's an idea, I don't care how spicoli you are playing this surfer, dude. If you're putting on an odd, he's writing it down. I love it. If he's if if you're putting it on, if you're playing it. I don't care how by the book it is. It ain't real. It's wrong. And you do your okay. story. Uh, your first series is exactly what I'm talking about. You came in with, and if you remember, Venice Beach back in those days had a real rough edge too. Mm -hmm. So, not completely inappropriate that a cat from Brooklyn moves into Venice. Yeah. You know what I mean? You can walk to places. Sure. You know, off the drive every. It, it's not complete, and there's a lot of hard. There was a lot of hard rocks out in Venice in those days. I mean, it's kind of, yeah. it's kind of been sequestered into a much smaller section, but. You know, it's it, it was a very smart move and you could bring complete life into it because you knew it. Sure. So you be false. Nothing. And you convince the writers and the directors and the network. This is the way we got to go, because you were so real. They couldn't see it any other way anymore. And that's what we got to do. Yeah. So you've worked with so many, so many 
huge, huge directors. I mean, you've worked with, you know, Anton Fuqua, you work with David Fincher, you, Darren Aronofsky, uh, Oliver Stone. I mean, you've worked with some of the, the yeah. biggest of the big boys in, 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 in Hollywood. You know, what are you, some of your biggest takeaways of working with those directors? Well, good question. Wow. Never, nobody's ever asked me that question. Take away from working. You know, it, it, it ties into what I was just talking about. Interesting segue. They just want to see real and the truth. And these guys are smart enough to cast in a way that they know that almost by accident, they're going to get the person who they're, the, that you're being hired to play. You know, they're smart. You know, Oliver is, is a fucking brilliant guy. Okay. Darren is a neighborhood guy. You know, he's a Brooklyn guy. Is he? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Anton is a tough guy. You know, Antoine, he's a tough guy. You know, Fincher, I didn't really get to talk to him too much, but he's very meticulous. So you got to be prepared. You know, these guys, what did I take? Okay. From Fincher, I, I learned to be ready to do a gazillion takes. From, from Darren, same, because he knows exactly what he wants. But I'm going to tell you a quick little story about the, about the wrestler, okay? And, and any of my friends who watch this, they might have heard this story before because it's a good one. With the wrestler, I waited a while to get that job. I read this was when we were still going in the room, and I knew I had it, but it took like two months because, the, you know, it was, it was an indie back before mm -hmm. indies were formed. Sure. So... It took a while for them to get things set up and, and, uh, and Mickey was rewriting a lot of the script. So, and I came in and I did the, uh, I did the scene where, when Mickey comes into the locker room, I, I don't know if you remember the, the rematch scene. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we did it on a different day. I was in shooting a different scene with, with them and Mickey cut himself for real in one of the fight sequences and Darren wanted to get the real blood. So we, he's like, wash, you ready? Can you do it? I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So he throws us into that room and we do the scene, but Mickey was so in the, in the loss of the daughter, it was very flat. So we finished that day and Darren comes, we're going to do it again on the regular day. Okay, great. Whatever, man, you owe me for the month, right? <laughs> you know? So we, we come back and we, we're doing it and he, you know, he shoots, he shoots Mickey a gazillion times. Mickey Rourke. Mickey Rourke. Yeah. 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 Is out there. Mickey Rourke. And they never turn it around on me. So I leave this day thinking, pardon my French, son of a bitch, I'm a dirty one. For those of you who don't know what that means, oh, a dirty one means that you can see my ear while I'm shooting Bill. <laughs> edge of the frame to show that I'm being, that the guy in the frame is talking to somebody. So I go home, I'm pissed. I call my manager. He's like, what are you going to do? It's Darren. He's an artist, you know? So, okay. Darren calls me a week later and you know, I got his number in my phone. Pick it up. Hey D he goes, uh, you know, Wash, we didn't, uh, we didn't cover you the other day. I'm like, no shit, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, well, you, why don't you say something? I'm like, it's your movie, man. You want me to tell you to move the camera and cover me? He's like, well, he goes, you, you mind coming back in? I'm like, bro, you own me to the end of the month. Just tell <laughs> me what there. Okay. I come back. We booked the day. I come back in. Mickey's getting his extensions redone. Okay. They're ready to shoot the scene. Mickey's in hair. 
Darren comes to me and says, Wash, you mind shooting with his body double? My close-up. Nah, no problem. We've already done the scene 150 times. I know where Mickey goes with it. No problem. So we do it. Two or three. Great. Great. You good? You feel good with it? I'm like, no. No. Give me one and don't say anything. Just let me do what I want to do. You know? And he goes, yeah, you want one more? I'm like, yeah, just give me one more. But just so that's where the thinking two words rematch came up. He comes running and he goes, oh, my God, I, I fucking love that. He goes, can you do it again? I'm like, bro, I could do this all day. Just keep the camera rolling. <laughs> Change, right? Changes the lens, punches in, we get the close up. And that's what they wound up using. The stuff with a body double on the third try. Awesome. Okay. Uh, right. So what did, what did I learn from that? It's never wrong if it's real. Darren does 80, 90 takes. Wow. He's known for it. Okay. But when it's in the zone, if it's right, if you're living it, it only takes two. Yeah. Well, he's looking for real. Yeah. He's looking for real. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And Oliver, what did I learn from Oliver? Same exact thing. Uh, you worked with Oliver twice though, right? You, you did a small thing early on and then he. I did. Uh, yeah. I did Nixon uh, with him and then I did uh, World Trade Center. Yeah. So he hired me twice. Uh, Nixon was the second movie I ever did. Um, right. So, so did you have a you know relationship with him after that? That he thought of you down the road? Oh, I, 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 I don't think so by that point because right after we did Nixon, you know, we did hang in New York for a little while. You know, he's a New York guy, and his mom lived here. He spent a lot of time here. But then it, you know, then we kind of, you know, it just like everything else, you know, it just we went our separate ways, and I hadn't spoken to him probably eight years, 10 years. And that was, uh, and that was a straight offer, I think for world trade center. I think they hired somebody else. I didn't even read for it the first time. And I think someone dropped out in the 11th hour and we didn't close my deal on that one, which is some of my favorite stuff that I've ever done. And working with Maria Bella was a real honor. And, and you yeah, know, you're Oliver, great at Oliver's awesome. And Nick, you know, I mean, I, I love that. Nicholas, Nicholas Cage. Yeah. And we shot, the studio stuff right right by where you where you're uh where your acting uh, school is we shot in manhattan beach there's a, a big movie oh, okay studio. yeah yeah right yeah. up on rosecrans yeah they built the uh the wrecked towers on that lot so really? we shot wow. we shot the uh some of the exteriors and some of the interiors in new york and then we and then we did the rest of it out on that lot so yeah uh what did i learn from just it was funny. I, I I came in. It was a stressful scene. We find out that he's alive and blah, blah, blah. And I was sitting all day, Billy. I was in my trailer. They, my call time that day was like 6 a.m. We shot some exterior stuff. They didn't get it. And then I was off until it was night. And I'm thinking about this scene the whole day. You know how much that's, you know, just stressful because I knew I had to get to a certain place. And when you're when you're you can't hold it, you got to just let it go. And I came back in and I was tense, you know, and Oliver gets, he comes in, he leans in the window and he goes, he goes, how would fucking Wash do it? Just like that. And I'm like, okay, get away from me and drive the car. And I just brought it from where, from my own gut, not thinking about, you know, and that's what they used, you know, I think two takes later and we, that was it. And, and he let me improvise, which is not something Oliver likes to do. You know, you and I both know film, you, you know, you have a lot of leeway TV, you have almost none. 
Sure. Oliver, he was one of the guys that let you, you know, he, uh, he liked riffing and, and I had, you know, from everybody that he wanted you on book and just very, just don't. And I no riffed. paraphrases, no ad libs, no nothing. <laughs> Uh, I mean, and I even said something like, I'm going to kick his fucking ass or something like that. And, uh, and he kept it, he used it in the movie. You know? Anyway. So yeah, I learned, I learned different things from everybody that I've worked with, you know, yeah. thank God yeah. it just together, you know, I love when I, I, I turn on, I was watching, um, John wick too with my son and you pop up and I just, the biggest smile comes to my face when I see on, on TV or in the movies, I got to tell you, you know, I I'm proud of you, brother. I'm trying to remember how did we meet? I think it was like, I believe it was like their eighties, 87, 88. I had a TV series and, and uh, I was coming to New York and I was going to the clubs and I'd come and you would like the gatekeeper at the hottest clubs in New York city. I, I don't remember what club it was. Do you? I, I think in that time period, it was either Marquis or the tunnel and I'm leaning towards the tunnel. Yeah. So that, I think, I think it was the tunnel first. And then, then I used to see you at the Marquis, but I mean, you were the guy, the legendary doorman to the hottest clubs in New York city. I mean, you're the gatekeeper, <laughs> you know? Uh, it, well, as a Brooklyn guy, it served a lot of purposes. At that time I was in law school, so it was paying bills. Right. And I needed a night gig because I had class during the day. You know, I was going full time. Uh, believe it or not, I was actually a, a practicing attorney for a little while before the acting bug took over. And that was the end of it. Wow. Uh, well, actually, the acting bug was always there, but I just pushed it down until I until I fostered it. And uh, I'm trying to where the hell was I? So, yeah, so I, I took the night gig to, to to pay the bills. So, you know, and, and it was a, it was a great combination of everything we loved these guys from the neighborhood because, you know, there was mad girls everywhere all the time. I was fighting every day, yeah. which is something, you know, you know, what Saturday yeah. night, the old yeah. neighborhood. Well, you were, you were a monster back in the day, oh, too. Yeah. You were like, yeah. you know, <laughs> you were yoked up. <laughs> oh, a very good friend of mine who is an actor and you know him said to me, uh, Back in those days, when I was about a hundred pounds more than I am now, hundred pounds, no shit though. Yeah. I'm not. He said, "Listen, when I started acting, he said, if you don't lean out, you're gonna always be the fat best friend." You know, I'm like, I'm not fat, I'm jacked. He's like, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're always gonna be the best friend. Want to be the star of the thing? You got it. You got to cut weight. And uh, you know, I I listened to what he said, and then I saw a couple of pictures at the beach, and I said, "Yeah, I think it's time." Uh, you know, and so I just, uh, I just got serious, man. I just, as part of my preparation, you know, as an actor, I just, uh, I, I leaned out, man. And then yeah, I would you, just, you look great. Oh, thanks. man. Thanks. Yeah. And now it's just a way of life. But back then it was, you know, that was what we did in the eighties. If you remember, uh -huh. we, the bigger, the better, man. Nobody cared about the mission. It was bulk. You <laughs> <know>? <laughs> uh, yeah. And so I just took that. The, the nightclub stuff. And it was a way, this is very important as a young actor special, because when you're, and I know you understood this because when you went out to, to Hollywood, you know, you, you, you basically had a few shekels in your pocket and that was it. It puts, when you're, when you're auditioning and you have no other money coming in, this was my head, you know, it puts a lot of pressure on the sure. audition. So you can't be relaxed. You can't be in the moment. And one of the and one of the most important things for us is to be relaxed, to, to be able to listen and receive, send and receive, be in the moment, not be freaking out. I got to get this fucking job or I can't eat this week. You know, sure. uh, I figured if I kept a night gig all during 
you know, my life as an actor, if I, if I kept that part of my life, which progressed and turned into a very lucrative kind of side gig, uh, I would never have to stress my actor. I would never have to stress my artist, you know, and it was an industry also where I could take off if I had to go someplace to shoot, you know, everybody always knew if I book, I'm out, you know, and I'll see when I get back, you know, that's always number one. And thank God it was, you know, I was fortunate enough that everybody understood and that was it. And it's, you know, the rest is history, man. Yeah. You you're know? a friggin' legend in New York behind that velvet rope. <laughs> and what? It has also helped with certain jobs. We talked about this right at the beginning of the interview. My first audition with Joe Renee came from a producer's assistant who I knew from the clubs. Okay. Oliver became after I did uh, Nixon, which was a straight audition. We became friendly after he used to hang out with me at the clubs. You know, all of these things, they they intertwined because everybody wants a place to go at night. Mm -hmm. They like to have juice. And no matter how big you are, especially in those days, you were a little worried about what was going to happen when you went to a place. It's not like now where everybody has a cell phone and they call two hours in advance and their PR person sets it up. Back mm -hmm. then you showed up. Yeah, you, you showed know? up. And I can't tell you how many celebrities I've turned away in my life if I didn't like them. Guys who play for the Mets, I'm a Yankee fan, shit like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you know, in those days, so they always want, so it was a nice kind of intertwining thing, you know, to, and it mm. didn't get away. You know, I could study, I could take class, I could work and I could still get to the gig at night and pay the bills if I was slow for a couple of months. So, you know, if, if we, if we can kind of send anything to your students or to, to your viewers, it's important to make sure you're, you, you know, you, you got a little bit of security because you don't want to stress your next acting gig sure. or you rent, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. It's also generational. I think Billy, I think uh, the newer generation kind of, they don't think of things in the same way as far as making you know, My dad always told me, make sure your bills are paid, make sure your bills are paid. Don't get in debt. Bah, bah, bah. You know, I mean, yeah. he was the guy that would pay off a car in advance, you know, <laughs> You know, so, but uh, I, I think it's important because you don't want to put pressure on the creative uh, process. Absolutely. They could smell desperation a mile away. Yeah, it's when, like you a don't, when, you, when you don't need it and you're just going there to play and have some fun, uh, it's a completely different vibration because you're in play. You know, desperation of play. You want to be in play. You know, I mean, for me, I don't know if you remember, my, my side hustle was I was, I did magic. I was a magician. You know, I had sleight of hand. <laughs> I do remember that. You know? <laughs> I, yeah, I do remember that. I yeah, remember. so I mean, it, I didn't want to work at you know, a uh, bar or, or wait tables or whatever. So I put on my tuxedo, you know, and I'd go and I'd work the VIP rooms and then the clubs in Hollywood, and then you know, I'd come out, I'd make a grand in a night. People putting hundred dollar bills in my thing, you know, buy me martinis, eight martinis later, and a, you know, a stack of hundreds. You know, I was I was making money. And even though it was your side hustle, you were doing it on your terms, True. and you were. And you were the boss. Yeah. The key there is the desperation element. Mm -hmm. And it's why also, I, I don't know if this is something you tell your actors, but I, I often say it, you can disagree, feel free, of course. I tell them to, to, to only do extra work for a very short time to maybe learn the process, to be familiar Absolutely. with that. Because you don't want people to see you as an extra. Sure. And they don't forget. You also don't want to see have people see you in a subservient position. You were doing magic for them. You were taking their money, 
but you could walk and leave and come whenever you want. You were in a tuxedo. You were a badass from Brooklyn doing magic for these guys. Sure. Me, I'm the one saying yes and no. Yeah. Right. Different yeah. thing. Not bringing you ketchup, you know, and I'm not dissing, you know, a waiter gig or a side gig or a bartending gig. Not in any way. OK, but you have to know and you have to utilize it for a period of time to stabilize yourself. But you always have to remember this. There's that pot of gold that you're questioning after. Yeah. That's that's yeah, key. And, and it's acting. You're acting like the doorman. I'm acting like the magician. Those are the part. We're just playing that part for the night. Oh, yeah. We'll play that. You know, I mean, I see you. I see you with the big fur coat and the thing and you guys. And it's a. I mean, let's talk about a wardrobe choice. I mean, I, I love it. <laughs> And it's one giant improv. I get yeah. to improvise a thousand times yeah. a night. Different other actors. What could be better than the audition process? You never know what you're going to get thrown at you when you go in, right? When you're reading sure. something, right? But you got to hit the ball back, right? You don't know what they're going to, what, what kind of pitch they're going to throw you, but you got to hit the ball, yeah. right? And that's that helps us as an actor because you don't know when you're on set. You don't know how they're going to, what they, how they're going to send their next line, what energy they're going to, what they're after if they're prepared. Yeah. And you got to be in that moment. You can't come in like we talked about before with a preconceived idea of what you want. And then what they're serving you, it doesn't jibe. Yep. Now we don't have a conversation. Now we have two individuals sitting in their own worlds. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I don't you got to be I able to hit the ball back with a spin on it in the corner, make them run for it. <laughs> you yeah, know? For a fastball, they throw you a slider. You still got to be able to get a piece of it. Exactly. All right. Last question. If you could go back. And give advice to the younger you, what would that be? <laughs> Life advice. You're a kid. Uh, no, let's see. My younger me. You know, I, I, I'm kind of proud of the way I did things. No, do it the way you did it. Never give up. Never stop punching. Do it your way. Do what makes you happy. Even if you got to go in uncharted territory and it's scary as shit, you got to do what makes you happy. And you got to commit. That's it. But that's what I said to myself all along. Yeah, I don't think I would change anything. Love it. Yeah. Hey, brother, I can't thank you enough for taking this time. I know we went a little long. I appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. I appreciate you having me on, Billy. Boy. And I and 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 I'd love to see you. You know, when I'm in New York, I'm going to hit you up. Oh, <laughs> I'd love no to doubt. see you, brother. Yeah, let's see if I let you in. <laughs> I, I know you. I got I got juice. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. So really. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, funny. all right brother be good good talking to you good talking to you take care all right bro. hey thanks for listening to the show please rate review share this with your friends subscribe if you haven't please take whatever you get from here the golden nuggets and apply them to your career go after your dreams with passion don't let anybody tell you it can't be done i believe in you follow your dreams i'll see you in hollywood